This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Tom Breitenbach and Tom Capuano. They have collected a book of local ghost stories, which they've labeled as true, leading to profound questions on what is real in matters of life and death. I was really shocked, says Breitenbach. I had to rethink my ideas about what ghosts really are and what happens when we die. He concludes that ghosts are a real thing. He's not alone in his beliefs. About three in four Americans profess at least one paranormal belief, according to a Gallup poll. I approach this project from the historical dimension, says Capuano. He says the stories can tell readers about the myths, the impressions we carry with us because we live in a certain place. And we're going to start with Tom Capuano reading from his preface. Thank you. Here goes. Pick an hour in the dead of night. Dare yourself to go out alone. Wait until you're sure the village is deep in slumber. Then walk along the silent streets of Altamont. At the village park where Maple Avenue starts northward, its opposing walls create a deep ravine of silence spanning three centuries. Listen as your footsteps echo with a strange softness in that empty corridor of silence. You are alone. No one sees you. No one hears you. No one knows you're there. Deep in slumber, there is no one to give even a thought to your presence. Or pick a lonely country road. Wait till long after the night has extinguished the last returning headlights. The woods all around you are the former fields, now long grown over of oats and rye, buckwheat and hay. Listen for the lost sounds of heavy toil behind teams of horses of boys picking stones, of harrowing, of reaping, of plowing the hog yard for turnips, of splitting wood, of cooking, of mending, of the creaking of wheels along the rutted dirt road. Listen for these sounds, yet you will hear nothing. Follow the road till it leads you past the stillness of an old church cemetery, in Knox, or in Bern, or in Clarksville or past the darkness of a hidden family burial plot along the Bozenkill or the Inesquithaw Creek. Scarcely a single soul buried there is known to us. So many complex personalities blurred into indistinction. Their smiles, their walk, the light and emotion in their eyes lost from the memory of the living until they reappear. And now we're going to hear from Tom Breitenbach, who has several of his own stories and those of his wife as part of the collection in this book. Uh, This is titled The Imagined Ghost. In the early seven, excuse me, in the early 1970s, there were fewer houses up the hill from Altamont on Route 146, and it was rare to find a car on the road late at night. One night, there was some slight moonlight, and my girlfriend and I took a walk up the hill in the middle of the road in the dark. 
After turning back to head home, we kept hearing a strange squeaking sound behind us. It seemed to be coming from further uphill where the road levels out. As I loved telling ghost stories, I started inventing one and told my girlfriend about a hideous creature who roamed the streets at night collecting parts from automobile accidents to attach to its costume. The noises stopped, but I was really getting into my story when all of a sudden there was a huge squeal 10 feet behind us. It was so unexpected that I freaked out and started running in circles, not knowing where to turn or what to do. My girlfriend stepped back and looked at me like I was nuts. Turned out to be a bicyclist, also traveling down the center of the road in the dark and without a light on. Where the road was level, he had to pedal a squeaky bike. Then he quietly coasted down the hill until at the last minute, awakened by our unexpected presence, he had to brake very hard to avoid crashing into us. Ah, the power of the imagination. <laughs> yes, indeed. The power of the imagination. <laughs> so how did the two of you get together to come up with an idea to collect these stories? Um, Tom Capuano has been researching the history of all the local homes and, and, and the, all the local history in this area. And he phoned me to ask about my neighbor's house across the street and if I knew how old it might be. And um, I ended up sending him some other sto historical stories about uh, the Underground Railroad and whatnot, which were told to me by an 80-year-old woman who sold my father the property in 1962. Um, and then I threw in, I also know a house up the road with uh, a family cemetery that's haunted. <laughs> and I, I said in an email, now that's a, a whole other topic you could easily get into, the ghost stories of Altamont. And uh, within days, I think he replied, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about that process of how you really got things going. I think you mentioned to me that the cover of the book, which is really quite stunning, you're an artist and you had created that ahead of time. Just tell us a little about that process and then how you use that to elicit responses. Oh, sure. Well, uh, first, we, before that, before I used the book title to help me find stories, I, um, well, both of us started assembling stories from our neighborhoods and our friends that we knew. Um, but eventually, uh, when the, the, the ultimate garage sale came up, I thought, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to approach um, the, the, the homeowners of these large historic houses that we had in the neighborhood. So uh, Tom was busy because he had to do his own garage sale. But I literally just tucked a bigger reproduction of that cover under my arm so people could see it as I was walking by. And I actually had a lady stop me that way and say, and ask what it was about. And she, oh, I have a great story for you. And she did. Uh, but I got another 10 stories that day, just talking to homeowners out of the blue and, and got more, more uh, referrals and things. Well, what interests me is you think of ghost stories as being told, you know, around a campfire, you know, wherever. And here you got people to actually write them. And I'm very interested in that and also pleased with that because so often these days, uh, you know, people don't physically write and physically read. They you know, hear things and see things. <laughs> so just tell us, how did you talk people into actually writing these down? Or did you to sometimes do the writing yourself? Well, there are a lot of people that submitted written um, stories and they submitted them through our, through our um, email account that Tom, Tom created for us. 
uh, altamontghosts at gmail, gmail.com. So you're right. There were a lot of people that actually sat down and composed uh, a story from their from their memory, you know, from their memory of the events. But um, but there's another good sized group of people who would really they really wanted to just tell their story and let us put it together. And, and in those cases, often what we do is we put it together and then send it back to them for their OK. Mm-hmm. And other times we get um, I'd get a not really a story per se, but a, mm, pieces of a story or the makings of a story in an email. And so I'd piece it together and I'd send it back to the author and and get there. OK, so there were a, a lot, a lot of different processes going on, depending on the, the interest and the motivation or um, the, the, the perceived talents of the of the writer. So now that the book has come out and you can tell us this would be a good segue into how people can get it if they want to read it. Where 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 do people purchase this book? Um, we're going to have an upcoming uh, a sale and signing at the Altamont Library next Saturday, the 16th. And we're going to have something at the Byrne Library on the 21st at 7 in the evening. Um, after the Altamont Library thing, some of the local stores will be carrying the books. We've had some offers, but we're, we're waiting for that date first. Um, uh, they can also get it by email if they need it sent somewhere uh, on my website, tebreitenbach.com. Um, what else, Tom? Uh, you said by email, um, but I think what you meant is on your web page, right? Right. They place an order and it gets uh, mailed out for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I was segueing into from that is once the book was out, have you heard back from some of the people who contributed? And what is their reaction when they, not to see their own story in print, but see all these other stories? Um, I don't know if every, anyone's read the whole book yet, but a number of the authors did show up at the Founders Day when we were selling the books uh, last Sunday. And uh, they seemed to be very happy. And one of, one of them, Tom, one of Tommy's friends who got some gorgeous historic uh, ghost stories for us, Paula Schaefer. I saw she posted on Facebook very proudly to her, her own friends. My story is in this book. <laughs> True ghost stories of Altamont. Uh, so uh, yeah, the word is going to get around. And, and I feel this book has a um, certain importance to it. It's a whole other layer of history that we're not really aware of. And yet it's going on all around us. I was totally shocked by how many stories we have around here. I had no idea. I was amazed myself. And one of the things I loved about the book was just what you said, the layers of history. And you made me promise I wouldn't tell any endings or let the cat out of the bag on these stories. But that one from Paula Schaefer, we've had in print before. So I feel okay talking about it Um, since our old man of the mountain columnist, John Williams, has written about it in his column and... It's just an example of how history has become part of these stories. And for those that haven't read the story in either our paper or the book, it has to do with Captain Van Arnhem, who, of course, was a Revolutionary War hero. There are two historic markers for him in the outskirts of Altamont, one right near where Tom Capuana lives, um, which is where his family burial plot is, but Tom 
But John Williams was there doing a sketch for a painting for Paula Schaefer, who is a descendant um, of Ann Arnhem descendant, and he pictured in this painting uh, a black man in colonial garb with a pitchfork, and we've run pictures of that painting in our paper several times in front of that beautiful old Dutch barn, and... Um, Paula Schaefer was shocked when she saw it because um, she said, how did you know? <laughs> John said, how did I know what? And there is in their family lore this story of an enslaved person named Sam who came to the rescue of Van Arnhem. So I, it's just one of many, many stories that go back as far as revolutionary times and have lived on in layers of family lore. And that's the part of the book that I just found thrilling. Were you too surprised when some of those deep, deep historic references surfaced in these stories? I'm surprised at all because this is Altamont and your history runs so deep here and the houses are so old and the, I think the, the, the essence, essence, or the the vibrations of the people who have lived in this village before us are really, really present. So, what what really well, I was expecting, and I was not disappointed, that many of the houses on our streets, mostly the older ones, but not exclusively the older ones, um, are featured prominently in the stories and sometimes it's a specific room or a specific location in in the house and one story it's actually a piece of furniture that was transferred from one of the old houses to another of the old houses and so when tom breitenbach just mentioned the different um, this new layer of um let's say uh, local myth that's an, a good way to think of ghost stories is they're like uh, they they settle on buildings, on rooms, even on furniture, and um, the history becomes commingled with the uh, the stories of the spirits. Yeah, I think I know the story you're talking about. That's Linda Cure's story about the the dressing table from the Hayes house. Yeah, and <laughs> she had that set in her house. And it had a mirror, of course, being a ladies' dressing table. And for those of you that don't know what that is, my grandmother had one. Ladies would sit in front of them and apply their makeup and do their hair. And um, at any rate, her daughter saw a lady in the mirror. So there are a lot of stories where young children um, are, are the recipients of these visits and then kind of grow out of them. And what struck me is, by and large, most of them perceived of these as benevolent experiences. There are a few notable exceptions. I mean, Bellin, Bellincourt, whoo. <laughs> I had written about her when she was in a Shakespearean play in high school, and she was described just terror as a child, even walking down her stairs because of these perceived ghosts. But um, what were the surprise, or maybe there were no surprises. Maybe the two of you had expected this all along. Did Was that true for you too, Tom Breitenbach? That you I, I had a few stories of my own from growing up around local places, but I had no clue there'd be so many hauntings in Altamont and, and the area, the hill towns here. Uh, so I was really shocked by it, and I had, had to real, really, really rethink my 
ideas about what ghosts actually are and, and what happened to us, uh, what happens to us after we die. Um, but uh, also, what's interesting though is yeah, the, the sometimes it's the little girls and the toddlers uh, that are the only ones in the house that actually see anything, and then they grow out of it from maybe from misuse of those sen- or disuse of those senses or um, or education. Uh, and then the women tend to see them sometimes uh, the best, and, and the husbands are usually last. But and then there are some ghosts that we can only capture by camera because they can see other layers of lights that we don't recognize. Um, but one thing I learned out of this is that just because you don't see or hear anything in your house that's strange or from the paranormal doesn't mean your house is not haunted. <laughs> and I started b- believing every every old house probably has a ghost in it. <laughs> and as well, I tried- well, yeah. Well, what intrigued me thinking about what I know of both of you is this line. Where is the line between imagination and reality? Because just to give like my perception of both of you, and since it's you, you can tell me where I'm wrong. Tom Breitenbach is an artist who has created an, a musical about Hieronymus Bach, who was a 1400s Dutch artist who had imaginary creatures that he painted that became real for him. And Thomas Breitenbach himself has created the new creatures. So here's a very vivid imagination creating a new reality. And Tom Capuano, years ago, I read a book-length poem that he wrote about the history of Altamont and the area. And in it, there was a lot of invention. There were certainly real historic figures, but to make it a narrative poem, just the way Longfellow did with Hiawatha, there was a lot of invention. So here we have these two very creative men and dealing with <laughs> the title of the book is True Ghost Stories, which in itself is startling because the whole point of ghost stories is they're imagined. Would just tell us a little about yourselves and your own perception of reality here versus imagination. Um, <clears throat> uh, so people who don't believe in ghosts uh, think it's just, just your imagination or, or you're having uh, hallucinations or or hoaxes and whatnot. Uh, I think most of the people who gave us their stories were being very genuine and sincere in things they've seen. And the fact that we've had multiple cases where more than one person sees the exact same things, they don't maybe necessarily mention it at the time they're, they see it, but they talk about it later and they realize, oh, you saw that too. I think that's proof in itself that uh, it's not just someone's sole imagination. But imagination does can enter in, you know, st- stories sometimes become bigger in their retellings and, and things like that. And sometimes it's just not clear. Is it, is it your imagination or a dream or, or is it real? But I, I'm definitely convinced, and I think everyone else will be after reading this book, that ghosts are, are a real thing. <laughs> and they're, they're here to stay. So what about you, Tom Capuano? What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I approached this whole project, this project, not the one that you referred to earlier the poem but this project i i approach it um from the historical dimension and so i'm interested in what these stories tell can tell us about uh, altamont's past not just altamont but the surrounding area too 
And of course, I'm not talking about the facts that histories are written about, but rather the, the myths or the, the impressions that we take with us about, uh, that we carry with us wherever we go because we live in a certain place about the, about the place where we live. I think uh, imagination plays a huge role in a lot of these stories, but then there are other stories that just um, just dare you to to deny the uh, intrusion of supernatural um, phenomena, and I think it's in some cases it's very very hard to deny, especially in the case of the three year old who sees a Native American by by the tree. Or if, if we take the story that's also from your own pages, the Altamont Enterprise from the 1890s, of the school children on their way home from school, and they're confronted with an apparition, a very frightening apparition, which harkens back to the French and Indian War. And in those stories, the... Um, there is, I think, this merging of history and myth, and that's what that's what uh, really uh, excites me about this this book that we put together. That there are so many um, references to those uh, to those events. Me too, and I went and looked up some of those in our archives because I was thinking, you know, the role of a newspaper is to be factual, especially in this age of disinformation and to tell the truth, and I wanted to try to understand what the enterprise had done, and I kind of saw it in the context. There was this whole movement with Charles Fort, who in the early 1900s was cataloging all these anecdotes and wrote seven books about these paranormal experiences that were reported in, you know, papers like the Times and scientific journals like Scientific Americans, you know, things people had experienced. And the one that stood out for me that was in your book that came from our pages, I'm trying to find it. It was a writer that, uh, a correspondent that we had that I hadn't been familiar with, J. Emmett Willard. And he was, you know, coming home <laughs> and he, he wrote very vividly with the darkness falling and he was going by this tree where the uh, there had been a hanging, it was said, of uh, a revolution, a British uh, member, you know, against the Americans in the revolution. And um, he started running and he could hear the ghost chains clanking. But then similar to the story that Tom Breitenbach read at the opening, he said at the end, or, you know, it could have been the, the nails in my pail. So there's like a blending of what you're imagining and what's actually happening. But um, I just also had looked up and was really surprised to find how many Americans, I'm just looking through the pages of studies I looked up, uh, the most recent one was 2017, a survey of American fears at Chapman University, and um, it found that the biggest paranormal belief Americans have, and it's 55%, is of ancient advanced civilizations once existed, like Atlanta. But the next is being haunted by spirits. 52% of Americans 
have been or feel they have been haunted by spirits. I mean, that's more than half of us. And the Gallup poll has similar numbers. So I'm just wondering, having collected all these stories and worked with these people, what your thoughts are on why why people believe these? What What is it about these experiences? I think you'd have to experience them for yourself. But um, uh, Mary uh, Novak, Mary Beth Novak had an interesting story in there where she uh, attended a college class and was asked to convince people of something they were, didn't believe in. And she asked, uh, she chose the topic of ghosts because she was aware of a lot of ghost stories in Altamont at the time. This is quite a few decades ago. Uh, and she first asked them, uh, how many of you believe in ghosts? And le less than half the class raised their hand. But after she got done telling them these stories, the, everyone in the class raised their hand. So the power of the story itself is what rivets people then you're saying well i guess people have to decide for themselves but uh, she i agree with her that i think after people read all these experiences and they, they can see that people are being very honest uh, about what, what they were and, and some of them are just can't be explained any other way now, i, I had i ended up thinking of new theories you know so what what does happen after death can that many souls still be be left behind which is kind of unreasonable. Their families gave them nice, loving funerals and whatnot. But then I was starting to think of other theories, like maybe time doesn't exist. Maybe these ghosts are living at the same time in the same places as we are, but um, somehow there's a break in the continuum and we can see through to them every now and then and even interact with them. Or maybe our departed can, uh, I do believe in that the soul survive. Maybe our departed can dream about being back home or they can purposely visit back home to, to see how things are going, things like that. I don't know. There's so much to think of. And the truth is, we know so little about anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the truth of, of all everything. Yeah, there are some stories in there that are just so poignant with comfort. There's a, a new widow. I mean, her husband, newly dead, and she feels two nights in a row, this presence, she says, of him coming to sleep with her. And what a wonderful thing to have felt that. But I, I don't, <laughs> part of me, you know, the rationalist is trying to figure out um, how this can be. And it's like uh, the question, do you believe in God? That really shouldn't be the question. The question should be, is there a God? You know, not do you believe in ghosts, but are there ghosts? So I don't know, Tom Capuana, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think this um, whole arena of ghosts, ghost stories is just part of a much, much larger whole. And you might, uh, you might talk about, if I can use the words uh, supernatural, any kind of a supernatural experience um, can perhaps be um, categorized either as a ghost story or as some other kind of experience. Uh, um, for example, people oftentimes say, do you know what happened to me last weekend? Such and such happened to me. I think it was a sign. And when they say it was a sign, what does that mean? A sign from who? A sign from where? We want to believe in signs. We could write a whole book about 
the experience of getting signs. Or we might write another whole book about, you know, the, that feeling of being transported. Once in a while, when, uh, when you, usually when we're out in nature, we have that feeling of ecstasy almost. And then there's another whole set of experiences that you could call um, experiences of, uh, of a numinous type. That is, where some sort of, a, of an angel or um, divine presence makes either becomes apparent to us or we sense their presence in other words i think humans long for this um connection with a reality that's beyond us and one of the ways we connect is um is by wondering whether the people who lived in these same spaces that we lived in in these same houses that we lived in if they could really really and truly be gone could they really be totally gone and that seems kind of hard for us for us humans to believe because we don't want to be gone <laughs> we don't want to be gone either you know we want to um we want to connect with the past and the future so that's that's where i i look at it as a, a part of that whole i like the little quote we put in the beginning of the book uh, by c.s lewis it says we don't have souls we are souls, we have bodies. And when you look at it backwards like that, uh, it bring, brings forth a whole lot of other conversations. Yeah, that's a profound thought from C.S. Lewis. I love it that you put that in the book. So our time has just flown by. Do you, either of you or both of you have clothing, closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Tommy? <laughs> I would like to I would like to thank the communities of Altamont and the Hilltown communities for supporting this endeavor of ours and for their interest and for their openness, because sharing some of these experiences takes uh, a lot of a lot of courage in some cases. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would like to um, acknowledge the, uh, the the work that so many people did by writing or by you know, conveying to us their stories in one way or another and and to encourage them to um, keep the lines of communication open with us so so we can continue collecting and maybe even um, present a second volume. Yeah, I agree with everything Tom said. Uh, and that, that's sec last thing you just said is very important, too, because we actually we had a nice book put together, but we still had a lot of more stories out there that we hadn't done. Uh, leads and things so uh, yeah if anyone has another story please uh, I think a lot of people will come forward we already got a few new stories the, the, uh, in the park the other day 